What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Ball in the Real World. This is one of those special ones. Um, it's one that I've already told the two people joining me that there's no real set list or rundown for this one because the Australian Boomers won their first medal at a major international tournament. This is the sort of thing that we have been sort of preparing for for a few years now. So I didn't really feel a need to really organize or, or you know, put together a list of things to talk about because there's so much to talk about and I feel like this is the sort of thing that can flow. My name is Olga Nulich and as always, I'm joined by my ESPN colleagues, Steve Smith and Kane Pittman. We're going to talk about the game. Um, I feel like the context and the history and the, the legacy and the, the Boomers program as a whole historically is what matters most. So I, I'll throw it to the elder statesman of the group. Um, <laughs> hi, Steve. Um, for, for you as someone who has... Um, you're not old. You've you've covered the boomers longer than than anyone here. What does this mean? Because I, I I have some context of it because I, I covered the boomers in, in from you know in Rio to China at the World Cup and um, obviously through this Tokyo one too. But for the guys that came before that, we saw Andrew Gaze the emotions that came there. But can you put into words like how much how much the context means for the result that we saw in Tokyo? Yeah, it it literally means everything. I just, you know, this is a team, a national team that has had four fourth place finishes since 1988. And yeah. each time we got just a little bit closer and a little bit closer. And, you know, 2016 was probably the ultimate gut punch because of just how agonisingly close we came. And I think for those guys, especially who weren't part of this squad, but have their fingerprints all over this, like somebody like Andrew Bogut, this medal is as much theirs as, as it is the team's itself. And even as, as Andrew Gay said, you know, last night that he feels like a very small part of him, you know, has has some of this medal as well because of five Olympics that, you know, and a couple of those, they went so close. And I think it's just something that for every boomer that's ever played, I think they're going to take something from this. Yeah, the thing that stood out was when Drewy mentioned that before the game, he called his dad. Um, yeah. It kind of gives you a... a good picture and an idea of just how far back this stretches. Um, and I think the thing that I appreciate most about the boomers and um, I think Kane, you can speak about this too, just because um, you know, you've, you've interviewed and you, you've been around a bunch of these current boomers is how much they genuinely care and have respect for the guys that came before them. Like there, there's, it seems like there's genuine reverence for, you know, the number boomer that they are historically and the, the guys that came before them and, you know, having, you know, a Mark Bradkey as, you know, the, the team manager in, in China and, you know, having these older dudes around them. Um, do you feel that same thing? Because, you know, when I speak to Jock Landau, you feel it too. Paddy Mills, obviously, Joe Ingalls, they, they know who, who and what came before them. Well, they pass it on so well. This is an interesting part of what they do when it is in training camps for a whole squad, even before, for instance, they went to Tokyo when they were in the US, when they're in Vegas and they were together and in training camp, all the guys, when we got a chance to jump on those Zoom calls and speak with them, whether it was the coaching staff, whether, whether it was the players, they all mentioned that part of the process of coming together as a group before a major tournament is discussing that, particularly for the new guys, the guys that are, that might be with the squad. So whether it was Josh Giddy who was there with that extended squad, you know, Dante Exum coming back into the team, Matisse Thiebel, all these guys that perhaps haven't had the experience or perhaps haven't gone through a major tournament together, to get those guys 
as a group together, pass on what it means, maybe teach a little bit about the previous guys that have been there. If, if some players aren't quite up to speed with that, that's genuinely a part of what they do. And then you, as you, you mentioned, Og, and then you see straight away that a guy like Jock Landau, for instance, who played in the World Cup, this is now his second go around in a major tournament. He really feels and looks like he's already ingrained in that team and he's ready to be yeah. one of the guys that'll be there in Paris and it'll be there, you know, in the World Cup before that. And I think that that's the great part about the Boomers. I, uh, Steve. I spoke to yeah. I spoke to John really today and uh, he talked about mm-hmm. that a lot, Kane, about how, you know, even him coming in, him and Matty Nielsen were both, you know, made to, not made, but they, they were asked about their experiences playing for Australia previously and, and how that could be, you know, ingrained further into into this now famous boomers culture, and I think it, it permeates from the top down. Um, obviously, the senior players, but also from from Brian Gorgian. Yeah, you mentioned Matt Nielsen, and and he was one of the guys that I asked specifically about that. And I said, how do you approach teaching this or discussing this in team meetings? And I, I think the one thing that's important to note is that it's not a gimmick. It's not something that they just talk about and no. it's and it's fake. It's real. So yeah, the man, way that he real. described it when they have these team meetings is he's, he said that they don't go overboard. It's not something that they're talking about every session or every day or every meeting. He said, it's just something that they, they throw in there. They might, whether it's education, whether it is just guys talking when they have, you know, an Australian themed team dinner, which they had in Vegas there. So just stuff like that, that they bring into it. But yeah, it's, it's not treated like a gimmick. It's taken seriously. And everyone that comes in uh, learns from guys like, like Matt that are now on the coaching staff with the team. And he obviously went through that when he was a player with the national team as well, which is great. There, there was a sense that Paddy Mills was was not going to, you know, go down without, you know, putting everything he had on the table. It was he he was going to win or die trying. That that was that seemed to be the sentiment that he played with. Um, if you look at the box, it forty two points, which in a forty minute FIBA game. Is, is unreal, but he had 31 shots, 15 three-point attempts, right? He, it was the, it was a sort of performance that came from just the ultimate urgency and the ultimate sense of desperation. Um, and Steve, when, when I look at, we look at how much reverence there is for Andrew Gaze and the performances that he put together. Um, I don't know if I've seen more of, you know, a widespread praise of a performance, um, and not just not just the on-court performance, but just from, the, I guess, the moment they stepped off the court in Rio up until now of the the ultimate buy-in into a program and into, you know, a, a nation's culture. Um, you know, have you seen anything as, I guess, inspirational as what Paddy did against Slovenia? Not, not for the men's team. Um, I... I... You know, there's probably some Lauren Jackson performances that are probably ranked similar. Um, but for me, I, I think if you're just talking purely boomers, he's probably, and, and I'm aware of recency bias and things like that, but I think what Paddy did last night probably cemented him as our, as our greatest ever player at, you know, at the Olympics. And I think, you know, as you said, from, from the minute that gut punch in 2016, you know, you look at the World Cup in 2019 as well, and, and that was just similarly brutal. And they've just been building and building, trying to make amends for that. Like they feel responsible that they didn't yeah. get the job done. And you know, and even talking to Chris Anstey as well today, 
he said the same thing that, that Luke Longley summed it up really well when he said, you know, the skeletons come out of the closet and dance for a bit because you're really happy for them all, but you're also gutted that you never got it done. Like this is how badly past players want, wanted this to happen because they wanted to erase the really bad memories they had of not being able to get over that final hurdle as well. And I think what Paddy has done and the rest of the team is done that for them. They can all sleep. They would have slept very well last night. Okay, so I want to I want to throw this to you as well, though, Steve. I, they, the burden, the monkeys off their back, right? They have the medal. Yep. Um, yep. Uh, what's the what do you think the balance should be like when you look at cool? They won the medal, but it wasn't gold um, because the the sentiment that they have and the motto that they all carry through is gold vibes only, um, and that's not just the tangible goal that they're chasing but it's also just the values that they're trying to uphold um but they go into these tournaments trying to win gold um and they're obviously and i think naturally and, and it's warranted they're extremely happy with the result that they did get um should is it oh, it's, it sounds like a buzzkill to say is it overboard because because they genuinely believe and i think it's reasonable to think that gold is an option um you know how much of this I, I don't know, how, how long should this celebration go for, knowing that they haven't achieved the ultimate goal? Yeah, for sure. I, I think there's a balance there. I think they're perfectly, everyone should be celebrating this. It's historic. It's the first medal they've ever won. But I really yeah. do like the, the attitude that this is only the start. Like, it's, it's the end of the beginning, if you, if you like. So sure. this, is just, this is just the starting point for them. And I think it's a really good reminder for them that, they they didn't achieve what they set out to. They got a medal, yeah, and they're really wrapped with it. But they wanted gold so badly, and I think going into the next World Cup and the next Olympics, again, they're not going to accept anything less than that. And I think this is a really good jump off point. For sure. Uh, one thing, and I'll throw I'll throw that same sort of sentiment to you, Kane. I want to read part of Patty Mills's quote, um, which is, uh, "Now that we've made it over the hill," Patty says. This is the standard now of Australian men's basketball and we take nothing less. We say gold vibes only is the standard and we won't accept anything less on the court or off the court. Um, do, do you think this is an important, tangible step toward that gold medal? The fact that they've gotten the whole first medal at, at an interna- a major international tournament off their backs? I think it means something. And I, I will say, I think that really means something that it was Patty that was doing it and Joe was out there and Dally was on the mm-hmm. roster and, and obviously Bainty was a part of the, a big part of the squad as well. I think that that means something because if those guys hadn't moved on and then you're talking about another generation that wasn't able to get over the hump, then I think that yeah. maybe some of the other guys, I don't know, maybe they're not committed and who knows, but maybe they don't have the same commitment to the future tournaments. Maybe they don't think that it is possible and they can get over that hump. So I think the fact that Patty was there and he did that and Joe did that and all those guys that have been through multiple campaigns, you already mentioned Andrew Bogut. I mean, it's it's funny to think if the Olympics had been a year earlier, then he probably would have been there as well. So it's it's yep. it's all about timing. But I was glad that those guys were, were able to be there. But that quote definitely stood out to me after the game as well because it was almost like he was a mix of obviously super emotional that they were able to get that medal, but at the same time saying, all right, here we go. Now we have got over this hump. It's time to get back to work for 2024 or the World Cup, whatever it is. And we can go one step further. We've seen it. They've been able to match it with the best. And now, uh, as, as he sort of pointed to, bronze is, 
it, it feels like the benchmark. And if in other than bronze yeah. now moving forward, particularly if they're close to full strength, that has to be the bare minimum to to consider a tournament a, a success. And that's a that's a higher bar, but I think that's where they want it to be. From from an encore perspective, I think it's important to highlight a few guys. Um, obviously, we spoke about Patty Mills. Um, this was a an interesting game because Brian Gorgian wasn't he 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 didn't care about you know honoring legacy or, or necessarily. So so I'm I'm looking at the Delhi minutes right. Delhi played less than three minutes in in this game after playing you know ten to twenty five minutes in all the games before it. Right, and then part of it is a matchup thing where Matisse Thibel started, and obviously Luka Doncic is on the floor, so you want someone like Thibel out there. Um, but there, there was a real sense that you know Delhi wasn't making too much of an impact in in, in this team. Um, but then that also opened the door for Dante Exum, and I think Dante Exum is a really good example of um, a guy who doesn't care about anything else other than just the success of the program. It just seemed like every time he was out there, Kane, he was just giving up his body, I guess, just for the team to win. And that's extremely scary. Um, but it came to the point where he, he hit a ton of big shots, especially in that fourth quarter that I think sealed the win for that team. Yeah. What a tournament. I mean, we spoke about him, about Dante Exum on the previous podcast and the dilemma that he faced as a free agent looking forward to the rest of his, what we hope and surely what he hopes is a, is a long NBA career that he can get healthy and he can spend you know, multiple years in the league. So he took a little bit of a leap coming to this tournament. We didn't really know what to expect. I mean, he was the ultimate unknown heading into the Olympics. So we just haven't seen yeah. him play. I mean, you just cross your fingers and hope that he gets through healthy. But he had multiple games where he, he had a big, big impact. And the thing that stood out to me, I mean, you mentioned Dali and, and look, I was I I tweeted it out. I mean, I thought it was the absolute obvious move to to put Thibault in the starting lineup. I think the yeah. one thing we learned against the US, and then uh, of course against Slovenia, is that there was a couple of guys in this roster that athleticism wise were just a level above the rest of the guys in the squad. And Thibault was clearly one of them. He's probably the top of the pack. Exum, despite all the injuries, despite the fact we haven't seen him play, he's another guy. And then there's probably someone like Josh Green who didn't get that many opportunities to play. But having those guys that actually have NBA athleticism defensively, particularly on the defensive end of the floor, really, really matters. And I thought it stood out with Thibel, and I really thought it stood out with Exum. And that's probably the most positive thing when you're looking at Dante play, mm. the fact that he still looks like a guy like when you watch him defend yeah. and watch him get out in transition, you're like, yeah, this is, this is an NBA talent. Steve, I want to throw another guy um, mm. toward you who I think had, um, he, he's a guy who we always says uh, is unheralded, but I think he's, it's, we're learning to, to herald him. Um, and that's Nick K. <laughs> and yeah. people talk about the, the guys that came before. And, and again, I, I, I don't, I have some understanding, but you know, when I think people talk about the Mark Bradkeys and the Matt Nielsen's, um, where he sort of fits that mold of the the boomers dude who isn't sexy out there, but he just gets it done. Uh, yep. He's just reliable as hell. Um, yep. What can you say about Nick Kay's game as far as just the impact he has on this boom on this boomers team, even when it almost sometimes looks like he, he's not. Yeah, he actually reminds me a little bit of Andrew Vlahov as well. Just that build and mm. you know the, the 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 Wildcats background as well, and 
you know, there's he, he's going to be very quickly a senior member of this team, you know, going forward. And he's that he's that glue guy that every team needs. You, if you if you just looked at the box score, like you said, you know, you don't see the little things that he does, how he reacts, you know, to be in the right spot to set a screen, how he'll he'll roll when he has to. He's he's underrated when it comes to being able to defend players bigger than him as well. He just does everything really, really well. I can't speak highly enough of that sort of player. And he fits perfectly in a Brian Gorgian team. He fitted extremely well with an, in an Andre Lamanis team as well at the World Cup in 2019. And I think, I think um, we've talked about this on the podcast. People forgot how good he was at that World Cup. There was, you know, it, it yeah. translated into a Euro gig for him there. So going forward, he's critical. Uh, just both him and Jock Landale are, are going to be a big, big part of that Boomers front court for the next four to six years. It's it's interesting. So Jock Landau obviously has used that uh, really incredible NBL season and then this Boomers campaign to lock in that two-year deal with the Spurs. Um, Nick Kay has always been one of those dudes who is clearly super effective at this level. Um, and he was also effective uh, with Batiste over in, in Europe as well. Um, but it's always been like he hasn't, he doesn't have the game that necessarily you would imagine would translate to the NBA. Um, it's just it's just the nature of the of the way he plays and yeah. you know his size and his his body and that sort of thing. Um, but his World Cup, his Olympics, excuse me, was so good that I had two NBA teams ask about Nick K, and I I thought that was surprising because I still don't see him as an NBA player just just because of the nature of the way the league is, um, but. That's a sign of how effective he was and how reliable he looked. That yeah. NBA teams are legitimately looking at this and saying, maybe, like maybe that, he will get it done. That work ethic will get him a long way. Mm. Like teams love a love a workhorse. Like if if he's just going to be playing flat out and hustling the whole time, you know, look at look at Delhi. Like for for the best part yeah. of eight years, who maximised his potential. You know, to, to have that long in the NBA, like I think I'm not saying Nick Kay can have eight years in the NBA, but he could get a gig and be effective in the right on the right team with with the right. You know, if they used him right, there's no reason to think that he couldn't play. It's it's again we we talk with this sort of these sorts of inflections because it it doesn't make sense on on paper, I guess. Yeah. Um, but when you just yeah. think about oh, can he can he rebound at that level, like? probably um would he be able to defend at that level i i think probably too is he going to step step in and take charges could he be a a nick collison type player could he be a udonis haslam type player um you know can he stretch the floor at that level like probably as well so i think he ticks a lot of boxes he just doesn't look like he ticks a lot of boxes um but when you look at his efficiencies and and his effectiveness um it's it almost seems odd that it's not talked about more but I think that's purely like superficial. I think it's just the, the perception. Um, Kane, you cover the NBA quite closely. Um, are we crazy? Well, I, the way I would look at it is I would compare Jock Landale straight up with Nick Kay in terms of how you think that translates to the NBA. So if I'm looking at those two guys, and I'll be honest, I didn't have, and of course, you know, Aaron Baines was there and it was Jock Landale, but. When Aaron Baines went out, I didn't really have Nick K moving into the starting lineup. 
But you've mm. got to give Gorsh some credit, the guru, because he stuck with the two big guys. And what that allowed them to do is Jock Landau was probably more of a finisher. Like if I'm comparing Landau and Kay, Landau, you know, he has nicer touch from the perimeter. You feel more, yeah. more reliable with the outside shooting. He's got some post moves as well. And he runs the floor. Uh, runs the floor as good as any big man that, that be certainly in the NBL, and we'll see how that translates to the NBA. And and he plays above the rim a little bit. He's a rim protector. He can throw it down. And I think that that's that's probably the biggest difference with Nick Kay. If I don't think that he can play the four, and we spoke about this with Jock Landau, I think he would have to be a five in the NBA because I don't think you want him defending guys like kevin durant which we saw in the in that team usa game you know which is just really it's not hard. fair. it's not it's fair. Really I mean, hard. there's very few people on this planet that defend kevin durant so you know yeah that, yeah no 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 question but it's like even if you you're playing for instance if you're playing the boston celtics and it's like okay now you got jason tatum you're playing milwaukee okay you want to defend yana so that's hmm. that's probably the problem which makes me think that he has to slide to the five and then as a as a five that that sort of plays below the rim it, it's difficult but Again, yeah. I, like Steve said, I thought it was a really, really great reminder of just how solid this guy is. I think Bogan mm-hmm. was calling the, the Australian Mr. Intangibles or whatever he was calling him. And it's absolutely right. I mean, he did all the dirty work for the boomers. And once these guys go to Europe, it's kind of sad that they just completely go off the radar and, and <laughs> no one keeps track of them. They don't yeah. know what they're doing. They can't get any footage of these games. So it was a nice reminder to see that everyone certainly within the, the Australian um, team understands what he did at the World Cup and now what he did at the Olympics. Yeah, I, I think as well, and, and I think is a good time to look forward uh, to the World Cup and then to uh, the 2024 Olympics in Paris, um, where one of the, I think, most important signs uh, from that bronze medal game against Slovenia was Joe Ingles' role, which was primarily as a dude who will just go stand in a corner um, and, and be the recipient of penetration from whether, whether it was Patty Mills or whether it was Dante Exum um, or whether it was just, you know, that signature boomers ball movement. But I like, I, I, I don't like the idea of Joe Ingles as a primary or even secondary ball handler at the FIBA level. I just don't think it's, it's really worked consistently throughout any, any tournament. Um, but him, you know, as a, as a guy who can accept being that role player and who can st- step in a corner and, and knock down open threes. When you have guys like Ben Simmons, who we're going to just assume he'll play in Paris and you have Giddy coming through and you have athletic dudes who can probably penetrate like, like Matisse Thibel. And I think Josh Green has that potential as well. I think the ability for guys like Joe Ingles and I think Patty Mills eventually to take a step back and step into those other roles, those complementary roles, I think that's kind of perfect for this team because the only complimentary shooter on this team really was Chris Golding. Um, and he showed his value in that bronze medal game. Um, but Steve, when you look forward to, to how those guys could potentially transition into those new roles, does that give you hope that this boomers team of the future, assuming everyone plays and everyone's healthy and, and whatnot, has the potential to do one better? Yeah, I think so. I think, Part of the reason that you're talking about, you know, Joe Ingles not being that secondary or even primary ball handler is I think it wears him down. I think the longer the tournament yeah. goes on, I, I think he people talk about him needing to be more aggressive. I think part of that is just a fatigue factor of, of carrying a load, you know, as a as a secondary playmaker. So I think if if even just taking that away and he sits in a corner for for most of the games, 
you know, as a spot up shooter who is absolutely deadly, oh, that's that's something that, you know, plus the athleticism that you're getting now from Tybal and going forward green and, and hopefully Exum stays healthy enough as well. That's a pretty potent yeah. mix. And if if and when Paddy decides, well, that he need that he has to take a step back as well, well, then you've got two guys coming off the bench who have all the, the experience that you could possibly want. And they're still very, very effective in a in a slightly reduced role. And how do you see that the boomers of the future, which ostensibly would be a ton more athletic too if yeah. you're having you know a Simmons in the lineup and, and Josh Green hopefully going through some development before he rejoins the group and Matisse Thibel and you know Exum should still be around you know fingers crossed he remains healthy it's a way more athletic group it is uh, I just it, it's probably a, a, a boomers team that we won't have ever seen before in terms of just their ability to swarm defensively I think more yeah. than anything else, the takeaway I had from from Ben Simmons' absence uh, in Tokyo was not necessarily at the offensive end, but what we could have reaped if he was playing at the defensive end. And just in terms of against Team USA, especially getting multiple stops and being able to work your way back into a game, if you know, even if they do go on a on a you know fifteen to two run or something like that, you can work your way back in because you've got enough long arm defenders to be able to get stops when you need them. Curveball for Kane. Uh, is there a player who has yet to be mentioned um, who you think may sneak into a 2023 World Cup or 2024 Paris Olympics team? You know, whether it's a maybe a young guy coming through or maybe a complimentary shooter or complimentary wing guy who could potentially come in and make an impact. Yeah, that's interesting. You probably could have given me some prior warning with that one. Uh... No! <laughs> so i'll I'll throw some names at you right so i i I dropped a story on on espn and um you know some names that i mentioned as guys who could be in contention um i I think there's the the big man situation where you know you have landale and k i think as guys who will be there and you have guys like duo preeth and isaac humphries as guys who you know will, will compete for those spots too but then you've also i think you've got guys like xavier cooks and jack white as um, you know, those sort of forwards who can make an impact on both ends, bring a lot of energy. I, I, I picked potentially guys like Dayan Vasiljevic and and mm. um, depending on a citizenship status, maybe like a Mojave King um, as just it would be nice to have some spot-up shooters um, because that was something that this, that this team was missing. Um, have, I, have I jogged some, some ideas in your head of potentially who you'd like to bring? Bring someone. Well, yeah, I mean, I think in terms of those guys, maybe they could they could be there. Maybe they could be that that shooter off the bench that they certainly were looking for with Nathan Sobey when they picked him and didn't go with Josh Giddy. That's probably what they were looking for, another shooter to be off the bench because let's be honest, you can't have enough shooters. I, yeah. I, I don't think, looking at this tournament though, I don't think those guys really... I, I never looked at, at Nathan Sobey, for instance, and thought, well... They might get a big game out of him and it's going to tip them over the edge. I actually thought that they they lacked playmaking and, and they were really, really fortunate that Dante Exum played as well as he did because I did think at times they just looked like they got bogged down and and to to, to completely get sidetracked from your question, but to look at Paddy Mills and the fact that he had 31 shots in this game, 
I think he kind of had to because when you looked at him, a lot of the possessions were balling in Paddy Mills' hands at the end of possession. He's he's the guy that can break it down and can knock down a shot. So the the shooters, those guys. I mean, you mentioned like DJ and, and those type of knockdown shooters. We've seen Chris Golding has been super for the Boomers in in major yeah. tournaments, and and he even had some moments here. He had some moments in the first half against Team USA. He was a guy I identified that maybe he'll really cook, and and he did have a couple of good moments there. So those shooters will be there, but I, I think you're looking at the more dynamic guys like a giddy that's going to have not, not play a role that are, that are going to replace the, the key guys, the Patty Mills and the Joe Ingles. And uh, I think Patty Mills has some experience coming off the bench, by the way, I, I think he would be able to be <laughs> in Paris if need be. Can we just point true. out also that not only Mills, Mills not only had 42 points, he had nine assists. Mm, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, he was creating everything. He, he, yeah. like he was doing it all. Not, nine assists, but also, stat. yeah, nine, nine assists, but also he was eleven for sixteen on two. So basically, any time he got in the perimeter, it was over. Something yeah. was happening. He was either creating a bucket, yeah. kicking it out to guys like Joe, or, uh, or, or he was scoring. And, and just the last point you mentioned, Joe Ingles and and guys both about the shots that he took and the role that he played. I think the big thing with Ingles is that. He never, ever, ever takes a bad shot. So if you watch him in Utah, you watch him wherever, like you never look at Joe Ingles and say, gee, I don't know if I would have taken that shot. So that's why when he does play that role and he's out in the perimeter, he's just knocking down open threes. You're just like, oh my goodness, he's not going to miss. This is unbelievable because he's just efficient, he's smart, and he doesn't waste possessions. Olgan, with um, Joe Reef, like I thought he had, a, like not a surprisingly good tournament, but I was really impressed in the flashes that you did see him. Like going forward, where do, where do you see him? I'm I'm really interested to see what his season with the Hawks is like. Um, yeah. it'll give us it'll give us a good idea of how of his capacity to to be probably a number two or three option on the team. Um, mm. and we'll probably get a better idea of his overall skill set. Um, I think seeing someone in glimpses is just it's it's a weird way to yeah. to, to look at a guy, but he's. He's got a really good skill set, and he's had it he since does. since LSU. When I when I watched him at LSU, um, he could stretch it out to the three point line legitimately. Um, yeah. And you know his his form is good. He's a decent athlete. Um, good you hands. know, it's good. he's he's a legitimately skilled player. Um, yeah, I'm I'm interested to see if he can emerge as a, a rim protector that I think this Boomers team is going to need. Um, and that's why I mentioned a guy like Isaac Humphreys, who, you know, we saw in that USA game, the, the absence of Aaron Baines was was really difficult for the Boomers to overcome. Um, so I wonder who is that next rim protector? Because I'm not entirely sure it's Jock Lando, um, just because of, of, of a size thing. And I don't think it's Nick Kay for a size for size reasons too. Um, so I wonder if that's a, something that Duop Reef could step into. I think he still has size to add to his frame. Um, if he does that and can become a rim protector and, damn, he could very well do that under Brian Gorge in, in Illawarra. Um, then I think he could cement himself as, you know, one of those boomers staple guys going forward. Um, one thing, one person who I want to make sure we don't forget, and it's, we we gave him so much, or everyone gave him so much love to start the, the boomers campaign. And then it sort of died off because it became so normal. That's Matisse Thibel. Um, he was five of six from the field, I want to say they were just all dunks, um, whether whether they were in transition or putback dunks, but he was just everywhere. In his 30 minutes, he was a plus 30, um, which again, plus minus is what it is, but he was a plus 30 in a 14-point win. 
Um, his impact on both ends of the floor just absolutely changed this Boomers team for the better. Um, he's just such a nuisance. Um, and 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 Gorge likes to play him as sort of that off-the-ball defender. Um, but Kane, when you look at a, a future Boomers lineup that, you know, we talk about a lot of those long, athletic, multi-positional defenders. You know, if you imagine a lineup that has a Dante Exum and a Josh Green and Matisse Seibel and Ben Simmons and then pick your rim protector, like, you know, as with Matisse Thibel as the head of the snake, like how much of a difference do you think that makes and how much of a difference do you think it makes that he was able to, you know, get in with this Boomers program right now and sort of learn about it and he'll go into Paris as, you know, not a seasoned vet, but a veteran of, of a kind. Yeah, I was just looking it up as you were talking about Matisse, trying to see if I could pull up the numbers, but 3.3 steals per game, and he was getting you getting you half a block, but we know he had some big ones, and there was a big block in, in with about a minute to go last night in the game that if it wasn't over, it, it absolutely sealed it. Then he went down the other end, and I think he had an, one of his 70 dunks that he had in this game. He was incredible. But you know, I, I think when we go back to talking about where the benchmark is for the Boomers and we say, well, you want to win gold? Well, the reality is... The one thing that we learned from the Olympics, as much as everyone wants to talk about, well, they've gotten close to USA and the Boomers beat them in a couple of exhibition games. That's why you need Thibault and that's why you would have loved to have Ben Simmons and that's why you need these athletic defenders because you can get away with beating just about every other nation in the world with with the, the lineup that they've had, which is fantastic. But if you want to beat USA, then you're going to need the next level guys and Thibault, you know, arguably the best perimeter defender in the world and it, it is his rim protection it's his timing it's his iq and, and watching him so closely i mean we see it all the time in the nba but watching him in these boomers game where us as aussies are so locked into everything and also just so excited that this guy is playing for australia his iq and his ability to when he's off ball to to really engage with the ball handler as a help guy and then the second that he knows that he's he's talk this guy into passing the ball he's straight back into the passing lane and he's off to the races as a dunk down the other end i mean he's just ridiculous it's it's i i, I don't know who i've seen that, that's like this guy that just can game after game just rack up steals the way he does it's incredible and another thing on fireball and we're going to wrap this up soon um and it's something that i think really isn't talked about enough um and Laurie, our producer, is going to hate me because I don't know if he's going to have to bleep this out. But there are no That's That's so important on a Boomers team like this. So when, when you look at Thibel, he fit in perfectly because he's, he's a good dude. He's, a, he's just a, a nice guy. He comes in with, in with like good faith, tries to get along with everybody. And I think that's just so important. And I think that's something that the Boomers program doesn't put up with. Just ha- having dudes who are going to mess with the chemistry and mess with the culture. An explicit no d- policy is so important. He bought in from day one, didn't he? Like he just he bought into the culture yeah. from day one. Like that's again, you know, people talk about this boomers culture and, and things like that, but but for an NBA guy to come in and and just buy in straight away, no questions asked, that you know yep. this is what we're all about, and I, I want to be part of this. That's such a everyone checks their egos at the door. That that's so big. You don't get that out of every NBA player. So he look. Thibel, I get it. He he grew up in Australia from the age of uh, up until the age of nine or something like that. But he's like ostensibly an American guy, right? Yeah. But he came in, he went into Boomer's camp legitimately curious. 
um, and and looking to to learn and to absorb what was going on there. And it, it seemed like he did. Um, and obviously his vlogs are worth a watch just to see sort of a behind the scenes and in, in that sort of vibe. Um, but again, that's so important. And, and the same goes for a guy like Josh Green, who has spent the age of 14 upwards away from Australia. He still hasn't been back to Australia since he left for America. And so for him to be part of that program too, and to go in genuinely curious and genuinely open to learning from these older dudes and embracing Australian culture. I feel like that's so important. And it's something that I'm not, I'm not sure because we're not embedded in other national team programs. I don't think other programs have that sort of thing. Well, Matisse Seibel, and this is the thing that, you know, I think about when I think about him, he, he's, he did more than what we could have asked the way that he played. He came in, he was part of a historic medal winning team. Who knows if he plays again? I mean, we're assuming that he will. And I, I would imagine that he, he certainly looks like he's had an incredible time and this will be something that he'll want to do in the future. But at the same time, who knows? But he came, he bought in, he had a great time and, and you know, really clearly got along with the guys and played such a vital role. And, you know, anytime you saw, we're watching from afar, uh, we weren't there in Tokyo, but anytime you saw whether it was practice footage or whatever you saw, he, he was always laughing. He was smiling. The guys were getting around him. He was having a great time. And I, I think it was it was fantastic to see him fit in like that because as you pointed to, I wouldn't imagine from, you know, what I when I have spoke to the guys or when I've been around the guys, I wouldn't imagine that they would ever be standoffish with anyone that came into that group. But just to see yeah. the way that someone that is basically an outsider when you think about the the path that he took to being the team come in, be such a great part of it. Uh, was awesome and it's probably just a reminder that one thing I've always felt if I take off a media hat and just look at the boomers in general when I see those guys it just looks like a fun group of fellas to be around it just looks like it would be awesome. you want to be there hey you want to be there you want to be in practice with those guys you want to be on the bus I mean Joe Ingalls had the Instagram live last night they were carrying on and, and then <laughs> drinking beers and having a good time so yeah they, they just look like an awesome group of fellas to be around so Kane, they're the Milwaukee Bucks of international basketball. Oh, same thing, Steve. Same thing. <laughs> you just want to be around them, but that's why I think uh, you know you see even people that are, that are commentating the game or in the media in general. That's why everyone kind of goes a little bit crazy when the Boomers play because they're just so lovable. They're they're a lovable group, and when we enjoy when they have success, it means so much to everyone, which is awesome. You know, I've been in on the West Coast, um, and I got to listen to the uh the broadcast here and they they genuinely love what the australians bring they it's yeah. there's they're the envy and, and it wasn't and for a long time it was just about how they played on the court um but it's also just people the amount of times you hear like oh we love the arsies yeah they do they they want to be part of this like it's yeah. it's a very cool thing um steve before we wrap up could you you have a story dropping on espn.com.au uh i believe on I don't know what I'm in on the West coast in America. I don't know what day it's dropping. It's dropping tomorrow. Um, Correct. Which I don't know what, what day that is. I want to say that's a Monday. It is a Monday. So could you tell us a little bit about that story that, that's, that's dropping on ESPN.com today? Yeah. Basically it's, it's a piece about the legacy and, and what this means to not only the current group of boomers, but, but the guys that came before them, I spoke, uh, spoke to both John really and Chris Anstey and, um, Chris had come agonisingly close in 2000, you know, with, with Andrew Gaze's last Olympics team. Um, they lost the bronze medal game to Lithuania. 
Um, Luke Longley hurt himself that tournament, and that was as close really as they'd come to, to, to winning a medal. And to be so close and, and not get there really crushed Chris. Um, he talked about how, as I said before, that you know they celebrated this win because it just meant that some of those demons could be could be put to bed. Um, and, and talk to John as well, because uh, not only was he a former player who, who played in the Athens Olympics, the first uh, post-Gaze era Olympics team that, that pushed Team USA, the LeBron's team, um, to within, I think, 10 points. I think they lost by in the end. Um, and you know, that, so they didn't really get close in, in his one Olympics either. They, I think they played off for ninth and 10th. So there was a, a real fallback and it's been a, a steady build since then so talking to both those guys especially John because he's an assistant coming into this team and he talked about both him and Matty Nielsen and what this would mean for them so uh so go check that out when it when it drops tomorrow shout out to David Patrick who had to withdraw from this campaign he tore his Achilles um he was coming off a handoff and it just snapped and uh John really took his spot and everyone's a bronze medalist I guess but that's where we're going to wrap it up um, not just for this episode, that's also wrapping up this season of Ball in the Real World. We don't know in what shape we will be coming at you next season, but um, it's been real. We've done NBL stuff, NBA, ended it with a bronze medal for the Boomers. Um, so this has been a lot of fun. We've had a lot of guests. Uh, it's, it's nice that we've had a, a recurring theme of having us three on the on the pod together to basically just chat about Australian basketball. Um, that's been a lot of fun. This has been a and really Kiefer cool Sykes. outlet. And Kiefer Sykes. <laughs> Australian basketball and Kiefer Sykes. Um, so thank you. Thank you, Kane. Thank you, Steve. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. Still subscribe. Still rate, review, do all that good stuff. And we'll see you sometime next season. See everybody. Bye.